Well, good morning. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Um, I didn't know how many of you I would know, and it's, it's kind of nice to see a few familiar faces, so I'm glad to, glad to see you. And for the rest of you, I look forward to getting to know you. Uh, I'm just kind of excited about uh, what God's doing just a little farther north of here and, uh, and what he's going to be doing in the future through Fellowship Bentonville. Do I have any runners in the room? Any of you guys runners? Okay. We have, a, we have quite a, a large running community in Northwest Arkansas. We have running clubs. We have stores just for runners. We have an extensive trail system that runners and bicyclists fight over. Um, we host running events where people from all over the country and even other countries come to participate. Now, I know all this because someone told me. <laughs> I am not a runner. Um, in fact, if you see me running, there's probably something really scary chasing me. But today's uh, text talks about being a runner. And so uh, I picked the slide, the picture that's on the slide, I picked it on purpose. Um, it's one of several that was done by uh, fellowship artists for our Hebrew studies. And uh, this one was done by Denise England. And it's a picture of her son, Will. Uh, he was competing in high school on the cross-country team, and, and I chose this picture for a couple of reasons. The first reason, I think it's a good illustration of what our text is, is talking about today in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The second has more to do with uh, Will and his family, and I'll explain that a little, bit, uh, a little bit later. But I want us to jump in the text now and just kind of see what does God tell us about being runners. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then go on to verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When you look at the way this passage is written in the original language, in the first two verses, there's only one verb. And so it serves as kind of the anchor for the point he is making. And that verb is, let's run. Um, he's writing to a people who've been enduring hardship and persecution because of their faith, because they are followers of Jesus. And they were getting weary and they were getting discouraged. And some of them were even getting ready to, to kind of cash it all in and go back to the old way of life because it's just, they just weren't sure it was worth it. And that's this group of people, these weary, discouraged runners that he's writing to. And so to this group of people, he says, let's run the race with endurance that is set before us. And the language he uses is not so much a command. It's not an order. Get back in the race and run it. It's more the idea of a coach or maybe a teammate coming alongside someone who's weary and putting their arm on their shoulder and say, hey, come on, let's get back on the track. Let's go. It's that word of encouragement, but, but if you've been in, in, uh, in athletics and you've had a coach, you know that the coach puts his arm around your shoulder or puts her arm around your shoulder, and as they're leading you, you don't really have much choice, do you? You kind of get back on the track. And that's what, this, that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. 
He's saying, come on, let's get back on the track and let's run. Let's go run the race. I have a, a, a friend named Will. You may know him, Will Blanchard, uh, who's an ultra marathoner. For those who might be like me and don't know much thing, you know, much about running again, a marathon is 26.2 miles. So a marathon, a marathon is this level of insanity, okay? An ultra marathon is anything over that and often gets up to as much as 100 miles, which is a whole different level of insanity. Uh, ultra marathoners, they live in their own little world of craziness and uh, I admire them but don't want to join them. Anyway, my friend Will and some of his running community recently ran across the Grand Canyon and back and back again. Rim to rim to rim, 50-something miles, thousands of feet of elevation change. Um, I told him, I said, I want you to wear one of those GoPro cameras because uh, I want to watch when the camera is pointing straight up and not moving. Uh, I'll know that you're laying at the bottom of the canyon and the, and the buzzards will be circling. But anyway, uh, he was telling me about when he, when he ran this race. He said that I believe it was if they crossed and got back to the starting point, so they'd been across and back. Uh, another one of my friends that you may, guys may know, Jeff Spencer, who's also an ultramarathoner and triathlete and also crazy. But anyway, he, uh, he met them in his truck. It was 3 a.m., it was terribly cold, and so he met them in his truck, and they all piled in, and he had warm refreshments for them, and it was really, really nice. And Will said they were sitting there in that truck, they were tired, they'd been running all night, all day and all night, and it just felt so good, and he was just really enjoying it. And then Jeff looked at them, and he said, okay, guys, it's time for some tough love. Get out of the truck and come and do what you came here for. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us. Life with Jesus is not a sprint. It's more like a marathon, maybe more like an ultra marathon. And some of us need to get in the race. Some of you possibly have been kind of kicking the tires on this. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? It sounds good. It looks good. The gospel is a, is, a, is a compelling idea. I'm not sure if I want to jump in or not. And some of you need to get in the race. Some of you need to get back in the race. You've been running and you got tired and you got weary and maybe you got discouraged and life got hard and maybe things didn't turn out the way you thought they would when you started the race. And the muscles are cramping and the feet hurt and all of those things of, of life are just pressing you down and you just sat down. And some of you need to get back in the race. And some of you are just, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. Will, Will Blanchard says ultra marathon is just steady forward progress, one step at a time. And some of you are doing that and you're getting weary and you just need to be encouraged in the race. So wherever you are this morning, I wanna talk about how do we finish the race. And the writer of Hebrews kind of gives us three things to do. So with that one verb, run the race, he gives us three things that tells us how to run the race. He says, first of all, I want you to, to look around. Therefore, seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so look around. 
If the writer of Hebrews has encouraged us to finish the race, uh, he tells us something that, that kind of ties back to the ancient races. There was a special place in the stadium seats for all the people who had run the race before. They were, they were considered the heroes. It would be as if, uh, as if we have the Olympics and, and they actually allow people to attend. Uh, then there would be a special place in the stands for the people who had, who had, who had competed in that event, event before. And so as the runners would come and get ready uh, to run their race, they would look over and they would see the people in the stands that had run the race before them. And it was, it was an inspiration to them. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is tapping into, that idea that, uh, that we've had these people who've run the race of, of this life of faith before us. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. Those people, those runners who've gone before us, those people who've run that life of faith before us. And so he gives us this list. And then the very first word of chapter 12 is, therefore, well, what do we do with that list of people? Look at them. Let them be an inspiration to you. Let them be an encouragement to you. These are the witnesses in the stands who are there to cheer you on. They've gone before you and maybe even have helped blaze the trail for us to follow. There's an old saying that some claim to be an African proverb. I heard it from somebody from Texas, so I don't really know where it came from. Uh, it sounds more like Texas than Africa. If you see a turtle on a fence post, one thing you know for sure is he didn't get there on his own. I mentioned earlier there was a second reason why I chose this picture of Will England. Many years ago in what feels like a previous life, um, my wife and I were in a community group with Heath and Denise England uh, in another church. And at that time, we were praying with them and we were praying for them uh, that God would give them children. So a lifetime ago, I was praying for Will England and Will England doesn't even know me. And there were many of us that that is true. We were lifting this little boy up, didn't know who he was, didn't, didn't know anything about him. We just knew God had a child and we were praying for that child. And so now I see this picture of this young man, not this little boy, this young man who is a runner, who's running the race. And I realized God heard and answered my prayers, the prayers of my wife and so many others in, in Heath and Denise's life that, that have just been praying and have prayed for Will. And he doesn't even know it. People who are in the stands who've gone before him, who've been cheering him on before he was ever known. And I wonder how many of those people are in my life and how many of those people are in your life. We have no idea how many people have played a part in our spiritual journey. But I want you to take a minute to think of those you do know. Who are those people? Who are those faithful followers of Jesus who have played a part in your spiritual journey, who are sitting in the stands and cheering you on? One of those for me is my grandmother. When my grandmother died, I sat down with my children. She died uh, either right on or the day before her 90th birthday. And so I sat down with my children and I explained to them what it meant to be a Reigns, the heritage that had been passed down uh, from my grandparents. And so as far as we can go back in my family history, 
There are strong, faithful followers of Jesus as far as we can go back. My grandfather was a pastor. Uh, He and my grandmother had seven children. And then my grandfather passed away when the oldest was 14 and the youngest was three. My grandmother never remarried and she raised these seven children as a single mom. She would tell them, and I love this, I, I'm talking to her one day, she said, I said, how did you raise seven kids by yourself? By the way, five boys and two girls. Um, how did you raise seven children by yourself? And she said, well, here's what I did. I told them, I can't be your father and your mother, so I'll be your mother and I'll let God be your father. If you don't like it, take it up with your father. <laughs> and that's how my grandmother raised seven kids. Of those seven kids... Four were in vocational ministry. Two were lay leaders in their church and one worked full-time at a Christian college. My grandmother is one of the heroes of faith that I look at in the stands and I know she prayed for me before I was ever born. She prayed for my wife before she ever met her. She prayed for my children. To the day she died, she could tell you the names and birthdays of all of her children, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren, and there were a scad of them. The reason she could do that is because she prayed for them. She's sitting in the stands, and she's cheering me on. She handed me a heritage of faith. Who are those people in your life? Look around. Draw some encouragement. Know that you're not running the race alone. One of the neat things about, uh, about the running culture is the idea that, that we actually have a running community. We have people who, who are gathered together and connected to help each other in this, in this endeavor of life. And so I think about that, and I think the application for us spiritually as we run this race Who's your community? Who's your running community? The people you run with, the people who have cheered you on. And and we look around and we draw some encouragement. And I think about when I want to whine and complain about how hard my life with Jesus is, I think about my grandma. And I think, I never heard her complain one time. I'm sure she did. I just never heard it. And I talked to her about how how hard her life was. And I tried to get her to talk to me about just how difficult it was because she raised these kids uh, right after World War II down, down in southeast Arkansas. And they were, they were worse than dirt poor. They didn't even own any dirt. Um, and I said, and she would never tell me that her, her life was hard. All she would tell me was that her life was good. And so she cheers me on in the race. Who are those people? Look around, the writer of Hebrews says. Number two, he says, the second thing we should do is look inside. As we get ready for the race, I want you to to think about when you watch runners get ready for a race, you'll notice they don't wear their warm-up gear and their their regular tennis shoes to run a race. In fact, I thought about uh, wearing a a running uniform, and then I thought that might be a little inappropriate for a a worship gathering. Um, Because they wear as little as possible when they run. (laughs) The reason they do that, they don't want to get weighed down and they don't want to get tangled up. So they take off the warm-ups and they put on the track shoes and and they they try to get down as, as unencumbered as possible. 
So he says in in verse one, he says, so as we've looked around and seen the witnesses, secondly, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. God is telling us if we're going to run well and finish the race, we have to get rid of things that slow us down, hold us back and trip us up. We need to get rid of the things that slow us down, hold us back, and trip us up. While there's some external applications of this, and I'm going to let you kind of make those external applications, it begins with internal inventory and evaluation. What are the things that get you distracted from the race? What are the things that can get your focus turned away from the race and onto that thing? And you start forgetting about the race. What's the extra baggage that you're carrying in the race? Something from the past? A wound? A sin? A failure that just the shame just keeps weighing you down? What's the extra baggage? Expectations? A legalistic approach to the I shoulds and I oughts that just keep weighing us down? What's, what are the things that are, that are weighing you down, the extra baggage? And what's the sin that trips you up so easily? Sometimes we need to be reminded and maybe remind ourselves of what we're here to do. Like my friend Jeff reminded my friend Will and his friends, get out of the truck and do what you came here to do. You didn't come here to sit in a truck and drink coffee. You came here to run. So what are we here to do? We're not here to build careers, collect toys, have the perfect family, enjoy great vacations, have interesting experiences, or even accomplish great things. We are not here for any of those things. And those things aren't necessarily bad. But when any of those things becomes our priority, it becomes a weight that slows us down and distracts us from our purpose. So what are those things we need to lay aside, the weights and the hindrances? And then he talks about the sin. Most translations uh, put the definite article, the, in front of sin. So while sin in general will trip us up and, and the writer, but the writer is wanting us to be aware of the sin that gets us tangled up the easiest. So I want you to think a moment about what that is. Maybe it's pride or greed or lust, or you can just fill in the blank with your own sin. But we all have one. We all have a weakness that the enemy knows all he has to do is push that button and we're going to stumble. We're going to trip. We're going to get our feet tangled up. So what is that? We need to be aware of it and guard against it as we focus on running the race. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Set aside the weight that holds you back and watch out for the sin that trips you up. So we look around, we look inside, and then most importantly, he says, look to Jesus. Once you start running the race, the most important thing, it's important to remember uh, the people, it's important to, to, to remember how you're running, but the most important thing is the finish line, right? It's why you run a race. It's to get to the finish line. 
And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the finish line. Looking to Jesus, he says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For us, the finish line and the goal is Jesus. As we focus on him as the one who not only laid out the race, he's the author, he's the originator of the race. He actually ran the race for us. He is the perfecter. He is the finisher of the race. We look to Jesus because he's already run the race for us. We look at what he endured. And as I read this, I realized we often, we read this as if Jesus is our example, and he is. He is an example of how to run, but I don't think that's what the the writer's first intent was. My personal opinion I think he says, when you look at what Jesus did for you and me, when he ran the race for us, that's where we draw the encouragement. That's where we draw the strength. So look at what he says. The joy that was set before him. What what was that? What joy was set before Jesus that he had to go through the cross to get to? The joy of being your savior. The joy of being your redeemer. The joy of being your God. That's what he went through. Have you ever thought about that? It gave Jesus joy to save you. It made his heart happy when you trusted him as your savior. That was the joy that was said before him. And he said, anything is worth that. Anything, even a cross, even the shame, even all the suffering I have to go through, I will run this race. Why? Because he loves you and me that much. Look at what he went through just for us. I'll endure the cross. I'll count the shame as insignificant. That's what he said. He did that so that you and I could get in the race by believing and receiving his grace gift of salvation and start following him and running the race with him and for him. So he is our source of life and strength to stay in the race, looking to Jesus. He's the finish line and he's also the starting line, and he's everything in between. And like we sang, there is nothing better than Jesus. And then it says, when Jesus finished his earthly race, he went to be in the presence of the Father, which reminds us that the end of our race is the same. When you and I reach the end of our race, we're going to find ourselves in the presence of Almighty God. The Father who says, welcome home. Our Savior Jesus who will say, you ran the race well. Good job. 
and the Holy Spirit who empowered us and strengthened us along the way. We'll be in, their, in, his, in the presence of God Almighty for all eternity. That's what the race is about. So when I think about running this ultra marathon of life, and I think about, man, it just seems so, so long. I think about my grandmother's 90 years, and I think, man, that's a long time. And then I think about eternity, and I realize, hey, this race is just a blip on the radar compared to the eternity we get to have at the end of the race. So if we finish the race by looking around, by looking within, but most of all, by looking at Jesus. Verse three, he tells us to consider him. This is the second verb that we find in this passage. Run the race, consider him, think about him. Think on him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility. And one of the best ways I know of that we consider Jesus, that we think on Jesus, is when we come to the table of communion. So I want you to take your elements and just hold them for a moment. I want you to physically feel them in your hands as we think on Jesus. When we come to the table of communion... We look around. So take a minute and just kind of look around the room. Everybody holding one of these, they're in the race, just like you are. They're running the race with you. But you know what's something else that's really, really neat? For 2,000 years, people have been coming to the same table and considering Jesus. And they were running the race too. That cloud of witnesses we're sitting at the table with them. So we come to the table and we look around. We come to the table and we look within. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that when we come to the table, we need to examine ourselves. So let's look within and say, Lord, what are those things that have taken my attention? What are those things that have, have maybe weighed me down? Lord, what are the sins that have kind of tripped me up? That's why I'm at the table, Lord. You died for those things to cover those things. And so I don't sit at the table in shame. I don't hang my head in embarrassment. I come to the table and say, thank you, Lord. And then we look at Jesus. And so we're told Jesus said that he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, when you eat this, Think of my body that was broken for you. Take and eat. And he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, hey, when you drink this, think of my blood that's shed to cover your sins and make a new covenant with you. Remember me, take and drink. Take and drink. 